0: The Outlet, The Talk of Southland.
1: Tug of War is a a pandemic album. It's not about the pandemic, but I recorded it during that time and that was really interesting because I was working remotely with my producer who was based in Sydney at the time and so I was recording actually on this microphone (laughs) in my my home studio and I would sort of record songs and then we would um, work back and forth through emails and phone calls and so yeah it was a real um, album of that time I guess.
2: We don't as a human race get the chance much to be alone, and so leaving Hobart and, and leaving friends and leaving all those conveniences of life behind, is, it takes a bit of adjusting, but then it's exciting too, the, the leaving behind is definitely underweighted by the excitement of what's ahead.
0: Welcome to The Outlet, I'm your host Brent Harbour, this is the first edition of The Outlet, a podcast for Southland discussing local news, sport, events and more. Coming up on today's show, I'll be chatting with Jenny Mitchell, a talented country singer from Core who's been touring Australia and the US and has been in the studio recording new songs over the last few years. We chat about how she got started, how COVID impacted her career and winning another songwriting award last year, doing a song with Tammy Nielsen. Plus we'll catch up with trans-Tasman solo kayaker Richard Barnes who landed in Riverton after 67 days at sea. An amazing feat. But first let's have a look at local news from the Southland app. The outlet Local News. A fire last week at the Invercargill Hockey Grounds has seriously damaged the club's new turf and is being treated as suspicious by police. It appears that rolls of new turf that were placed between two containers with the materials to lay it were set alight. Invercargill hockey is in the middle of a major redevelopment estimated at two million dollars to upgrade its playing surfaces and facilities one person has died following a fatal crash on the nightcaps opia road north of state highway 96 emergency services responded at around 3 p.m to the two vehicle collision another person with serious injuries remains in dunedin hospital And anyone wanting to get their hands on a piece of Invercargill Theatre memorabilia or equipment will have the opportunity at the Civic Theatre's first ever stage sale. Now items include theatrical lighting and sound equipment, props, office furniture, costumes, fabric and vintage clothing. The sale is on this Saturday the 25th of February from 9 till 3pm at the Civic Theatre. That's local news and information from your Southland app. Check out more stories in the news section and turn on your notifications. The Outlet, from your Southland app. Thanks for listening to The Outlet. Now, there's a parenting course coming to Mossburn. It's a fantastic opportunity to connect with other parents and share positive parenting strategies. The program is free and designed for parents or caregivers of tamariki aged between two and a half and eight years who want to develop new strategies to build positive relationships and manage challenging behaviours as well. For more information and to book your spot, drop an email to scook at familyworksld.nz. All the information is on your Southland app. Jenny Mitchell from Gore has been on tour in the States and Australia. Jenny will be performing at the Tussock Country Music Festival on King's birthday weekend. So I caught up with her to chat about where it all began, her album Tug of War and the festival. And my
1: heart will always win the tug of war With my brain. Trouble's gonna fight,
0: Hi Jenny, how are you?
1: I'm great, thank you. How are you?
0: Very good, thank you. I really appreciate you giving me some time to have a chat this afternoon. I absolutely love your music and what you do. So tell me, when did you first think that singing and songwriting was going to be something for you?
1: Well, I was sort of always involved in music in some way. I I often say I don't really remember not singing. It wasn't really something that I started to do um, and that was because of my dad, Ron, and he's always been a singer and been part of music uh, locally and nationally. So when uh, my sisters and I were both, you know, babies, infants, we were really surrounded by music all the time. And when we got old enough to uh, start Speaking, I think singing was the next thing on the list. So yeah, I think my first performance was when I was four, According to Dad. So yeah, that's that's how the story goes.
0: <laughs> that's really great. Now, do you remember your first song you ever wrote?
1: Yes, I do. Um, it was a song, there was a few sort of at the same time that I wrote when I went to Ireland uh, with my mum. mum's family is from there. And so we went over there and I was only 11 at the time. Uh, but it was kind of this first experience of I suppose big emotions (laughs) and um yeah, I really, when I was leaving, I was, I was really emotional about leaving this whole family behind. So that's where the first songs came from.
0: Wow, when you're 11 years old, do you still have a copy of it handwritten somewhere? Do you?
1: <laughs> I think there's still recordings of them, but um, they, they're not uh, for public consumption.
0: <laughs> so is singing and songwriting something that you do every day, or do you make a set time to sit down and think through things?
1: Uh, I think it's sort of a ebb and flow kind of a thing at the moment. I've been writing a lot and um, previous to now I've sort of been in like a, I would call it like a touring season. So with that, I have been singing a lot, but um, often when you are, you know, touring and, and working in, in that way, um, the writing doesn't always happen for me at that time. Cause I'm really thinking about playing those songs and playing that show. So, um, I mean, I sing, you know, in the car every day, but, um, I wouldn't say that I'm someone, maybe I wish I was, but I'm not really someone that says, okay, we're going to sit down from four till five and do this. Um, yeah, try to just do it when it when it fits and when I feel like doing it. Yeah.
0: Now, COVID, of course, was really tough on the music industry. Um, and, you know, there was no touring, getting people in the studio. So how did that impact you for the last few years?
1: Uh, quite drastically. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess... Besides the obvious huge uh, and ongoing financial impact of that, it was just the taking that, you know, the best part of my life, really. The thing I love the most is, is playing for people. I love writing and I love being in studio, but really what gives me energy and what what I do it for is to play live. And so, yeah, I think that was probably the hardest part was just that being taken away. And yeah, I didn't realize how much I relied on that to kind of um, keep me, keep my cup filled and things like that. So yeah, that was the biggest thing and I'm just really thankful that now we, we can tour again and um, hope that people will keep buying tickets and supporting art.
0: Yeah, I hope so too. I, I think it's, um, you know, we are seeing that with a lot of concerts and things coming back, people are actually stepping up and going out and they're selling out really quick, which is so good for the entertainment industry in this country, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I think what we just have to remember now is that there's all these international acts coming, which is amazing. Like, it's so exciting to be able to go to those shows. Um, but there was a real wave of, you know... Um pro-local type stuff and pro-independent um, musicians and people were yeah really getting, I think, local support from New Zealanders. And so I think the tricky thing now is, is how to work out how to make sure that people are still going to see this the songwriter from down the road that's playing a show while also buying tickets to those big shows. I think that's going to be the challenge of 2023.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Keeping that momentum going. So tell me a bit about your latest album, Tug of War. I mean, it's getting amazing reviews around the world, some great quotes uh, I've seen from Rolling Stone magazine and all over the place.
1: Yeah, so Tug of War is a, um, a pandemic album, so I recorded it. It's not about the pandemic, but I recorded it during that time and uh, that was really interesting because I was um, working remotely with my producer who was based in Sydney at the time and so I was recording actually on this microphone (laughs) in my my home studio and I would sort of record songs and then we would um, work back and forth through emails and phone calls and He would add a guitar and then the fiddle player would add a fiddle piece from her remote studio um, that she was locked down in. And so, yeah, it was a real, um, yeah, an album of that time, I guess. And because of that, it took us about a year and a half to create and to finish. And yeah, we've toured it a lot in 2022 and we're still touring it now. And yeah, it's been lots of fun.
0: (laughs) Boy, I mean, it's a difficult way to um, put an album together when you're so used to just being in the studio with musicians and you can make changes straight away. But with this way, you're kind of emailing things backwards and forwards and audio files are flying all over the world.
1: Yeah, although I think there were definitely some unexpected pros to that as well. Because, you know, like the fiddle player would put a piece on and rather than making that gut instinct choice of yay or nay I did have time to kind of listen back to the mixes and say actually I think maybe it needs less of this or more of this and yeah you don't really get that um, in a studio because you're so wrapped up so I think you know there's always always pros and cons
0: (laughs) Now I want to talk about uh, a wonderful song and I remember last year I played this on the radio on International Women's Day Trouble Finds a Girl so you won APRA's best country music song I mean it's a very powerful song with a very powerful message how was it for you putting that together and actually getting to sing with Tammy Nielsen as well.
1: Yeah, so I co-wrote um, the song with Tammy and, um, yeah, it's a song that's really sort of changed my I guess, understanding of of what making music is about. And before that song, when I played live shows, the songs were often about, you know, like loving my family and loving where I come from, and songs that um, I think made people, well, I hope made people feel warm and fuzzy, but didn't necessarily challenge the way that they thought about things. And so I'd wanted to write this song, um, Trouble Finds a Girl, is about. Um, mistreatment and harassment of particularly women, but everybody um, in the music industry. And I'd wanted to write it for a long time, but just couldn't quite get the tone right. And so I kind of took the idea to Tammy, and I knew that she'd be the um, the perfect person to kind of collaborate with that on. And then she went on to produce the actual recording of the song as well. So it was really a big, you know, collaboration from start to finish. And yeah, she she you know, like we've both it's our lived experience, and so it was really special to be able to do that with her. Um, but she's also one of my favourite artists in the world. So it was, yeah, a real joy to be able to kind of tick that off my bucket list and um, get to sing with one of my idols.
0: <laughs> now, you have been performing too, you've been on tour, you've been in the States and Australia, but uh, you're performing at the Tussock Country Music Festival. So that's the New Zealand Gold Guitar Awards in gore. It's on King's Birthday Weekend, isn't it? Can you tell me a little That's bit right. about a little bit about that event and what it's like to perform there and be back at home in Gore?
1: The New Zealand Gold Guitar Awards are kind of you know the the foundation of the Tusset Country Festival. They've been running um, for many many decades, and this will be our second festival that we've had. Um, we had a few uh, COVID cancellations in the middle. And, um, yeah, so the festival itself has now got over 60 different events and that includes the Gold Guitars, that includes the Country Honours, which is where they present at Best Country Song and the MLT Songwriting Award. And, um, there's a bunch of workshops. Uh, some of them are musical, some of them are, you know, like learn how to play ukulele, some of them are learn how to make cheese rolls. (laughs) So there's lots of different things. Um, and yeah, it runs over 10 days and there really is, um, there's a lot, you know, for families and, um, for older listeners, but there's also, um, a really big youth kind of audience that we're growing, which I'm really excited about, um, And yeah, it's freezing cold, um, but the venues are warm and uh, my show is on Friday the 2nd of June. It's a concept show called Tea at Three and I've done it for a few years and um, it's basically just a show that is followed by um, a high tea um, in the afternoon uh, at at three. So yeah, that's my my contribution.
0: (laughs) If people want to buy your music and find out more about you, Jenny, where's the best place to go?
1: Uh, My website JennyMitchell.co.nz has got links to everything but you can find me on Facebook and Instagram and on Spotify and Apple Music wherever you want to listen Um, and you can buy vinyl records and um, physical CDs on my website.
0: The Outlet from your Southland app. You're listening to The Outlet. The Track National Championships is the pinnacle event on the domestic calendar for New Zealand's top under-15, under-17, under-19 elite and paracyclists. Now, this year's event will be held at the Velodrome in Invercargill from the 1st to the 5th of March. Olympic medalists, World Championship and World Cup riders will be lining up against our emerging future champions to race for national titles. Richard Barnes is a solo sea kayaker. Now he's paddled into Riverton after 67 days in the Tasman Sea. He's just the second solo sea kayaker to successfully cross the Tasman after Scott Donaldson in 2018. And he joins me now. Hi, Richard. Congratulations on 67 days at sea in a kayak. What an amazing feat. It's a way of
2: having a great holiday. 67 days of holiday. (laughs)
0: Crikey, it doesn't seem like much of a holiday, but you've been on ground for a little while back on land. How long does it take to get your bearings after you've been on the water for that long?
2: So, so when I first stepped out of the boat, my, my legs had gone to mush. And I used a walking stick for a day just to get back to, to a little bit of balance. Getting back okay now, eating heaps, so that, that's part of it, I suspect. Yeah, so eating and getting balance back was the big thing. And I think probably my legs will take a few more weeks to get back into action again. So 67
0: days at sea. Can, can you talk me through those first few days when you <laughs> headed out from Hobart?
2: It, it's it's exciting for sure to, to leave land behind and, and leave behind humans. It's, we, we don't as a human race get the chance much to be alone. And so leaving Hobart and and leaving friends and leaving all those conveniences of life behind is, it takes a bit of adjusting, but then it's exciting too. The the leaving behind is definitely outweighed or underweighed by the excitement of what's ahead and getting used to being on the boat. I I do get seasick and so always have a few days of adjusting to that and throwing up and and, and that sort of stuff, but I know it goes. And so that's a a part of the first few days. Getting into the routine of just paddling all day, getting into the routine of the the food and when to eat, how to eat, how much to eat, and working on making sure um, no blisters are happening, because any blisters are sure to last for a long time. So there's quite a bit of adjusting to to being out on the water. It's all part of the the adventure of getting into that mode and feeling like it's a holiday, really. Do
0: you have a specific routine? Do you go like, I'm going to eat now, I'm going to sleep now, and all those kind of things? At
2: least to an extent, yes. So I had a little GPS sitting in front of me, and sorry, it had a clock in it, and I'd wake up, fairly much wake up with the sun and then get paddling. It wasn't that early that I got paddling, but then I'd use the little GPS and clock for each hour or two hours to stop and and have a snack. And usually for breakfast, I had wheat bix and they'd carry on through the day. So each hour I'd have a nibble of wheat bix and then I'd get to maybe three o'clock or the four o'clock stop and I'd, I'd get out lunch then was usually vita wheats and a tin of some sort of fishy thing, salmon or tuna or something like that. And then my, my regular goal was about seven o'clock to stop paddling at night. So, so it was it was surprisingly routine really, when there was no real need to, to be routine. But I guess as a human creature, we go on routine.
0: And the boat design is amazing. So where do you even start when you think about designing a boat to solo kayak across the Tasman?
2: So definitely looking to people that had done similar-ish things before. So talking to Scott, he was certainly a source of information. And then the, the double that had done at James and Justin, talked to them a lot, they're good mates. And even talking to the builders that did Andrew McCauley's boat. So, so I knew what they had done. And, and I also talked to some people who had done Atlantic crossings as well. And so the basis of having a cabin to, to crawl into for, for when it's rough and for sleeping in, that's the starting point. I, I, I had a feeling that I, I wanted to have two separate areas inside the canoe so that I could transition from being fully wet in the cockpit to being semi-dry and cook in a vestibule, what I call a vestibule, and then move into a fully dry sleeping area. I did start with a double seek a standard design in Australia. I bought one of them and told the person I was gonna cut it up and extend it and widen it as a starting point for my boat, so I did. Started with a seven metre boat and ended up with a 10 metre hull. And then the deck was fully custom. I'm an engineer, so I was able to do a lot of the building and designing on, as an engineer.
0: What inspired you to do this? When did you think, you know what, I'm going to paddle across the Tasman?
2: <laughs> so, so I've been canoeing for 40 years, roughly now. I started at university and, and through Scouts. I've done a lot of canoeing all sorts of canoeing so from flat water and rivers and sea and canoe polo and slalom and a lot of white water the white water in new zealand and all over the world lots of places and so it's it's an eternal question what what next what what challenge i sort of stepped up from races in australia that are 100 kilometers 400 kilometers and i went across and did a an event over in Canada and Alaska that was a thousand miles, sixteen hundred kilometers. What do you do is the next challenge. Like I love canoeing. The idea sort of sprang from from knowing James and Justin in particular and getting excited by what they were doing. Reading other people's books about adventuring crossing the oceans. It's now roughly seven years ago I was away with a group of scouts and we were talking over New Year's Eve of what our goals and aims and things were. And I said to the group, this is my goal. I'm going to paddle to New Zealand.
0: <laughs> That's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> and you did have a chat with Scott Donaldson as well.
2: I did, yes, yes. So it's probably oh, probably two years ago now. So before he'd gone and then also after he'd gone. So I you know, got, got a huge amount of information from him. He, he is a, a very different personality to me, though. I, I got the feeling that that his way of paddling was, was military style. It, it, there was the right number of calories to eat and there was the, the right amount of paddling to be done each day. And the mission was to get there, whereas my, my goal was to have a holiday to enjoy it and to get up when I liked and sleep in if I felt like it and paddle if I wanted to do and and just enjoy the whole, whole experience and almost if I got there, that was a bonus.
0: Well, it was your second attempt. I mean, on your first attempt, there was Cyclone Seth. So how did you feel when you were paddling out and you found out about Cyclone Gabrielle heading towards New Zealand?
2: So so I had a good weatherman, Roger Badham. Roger was a real good person at forecasting well in advance. And so I had a a good idea of what was coming. That let me prepare for for the, the stronger weather days. And there were a few gale type things, but I could be prepared and and know that I could just be in the cabin on those rough days.
0: Well, once again, congratulations on an amazing feat. Only the second person ever to solo kayak across the Tasman it has been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Congratulations. And now I suppose you turn the boat around and paddle back, right?
2: If if my family would let me, I I think I'd love to. (laughs) So many lovely things out there, Brent. (laughs) Nice talking with you. The Outlet, from your Southland app.
0: Thanks for listening to the first episode of The Outlet. Now, The Outlet is produced and published by the Southland app and supported with funding from the New Zealand Public Interest Journalism Fund. The Outlet is available in the audio section of your Southland app and wherever
2: you get your podcasts.